3: Each week, the media is full of stories about the latest medical research, promising new treatments, clinical trials, food, drugs, supplements. There's a boundless appetite for advice on how to live a longer, more healthy life. But how can we health consumers tell what evidence we should rely on and what's just based on bad science, or worse, on spin coming from the drug companies? The BBC show Inside Health, hosted by Dr Mark Porter tries to keep you up to date as well as being a medical journalist Mark's also a practicing GP so his focus is on the business end of the healthcare system how to give patients the best advice in the show you'll hear directly from patients and people affected by particular health conditions and Mark's often joined by regular contributor Margaret McCartney and she's become a bit of a podcast favourite of mine. She's a straight-talking GP based in Glasgow and the scourge of any glib or ill-prepared researcher. She doesn't hold back, and she'll cast an often sceptical eye over their findings and how well these might translate to the doctor's surgery. Recent episodes have discussed pedometers, running and knee health, and macular degeneration. Here's one focusing on the common practice of taking
0: a daily low dose of aspirin, as a way of protecting against heart attack or stroke. Coming up in the next half an hour, strokes and a new approach to treating them that can help where current methods can't.
1: If you have a large blocked drain in a street and you try to put in some drain powder, that doesn't really work because you need somebody to go in mechanically, a plumber, to take it out. So that's what basically we had to do, basically go into the brain vessel and take the clot out. We continue our guide to what happens when people lose
0: the mental capacity to make key decisions. This week we discuss best interest and lasting power of attorney. And Margaret McCartney reflects on a much-discussed case that's currently being heard by the Court of Appeal. The striking off of Dr Bawa Garber following the death of six-year-old Jack Adcock. But first, aspirin. If you're taking low-dose aspirin, typically 75 milligrams a day, to protect against heart attack or stroke and you haven't been weighed, then there's a good chance that you're on the wrong dose and not as protected as you or your doctor might think. That's the startling conclusion of new research suggesting that the current one-size-fits-all approach is wrong. Peter Rothwell, Professor of Clinical Neurology at the University of Oxford, led the team who made the discovery.
2: I think at the moment a lot of people are taking aspirin. Nearly a billion people worldwide take regular aspirin, usually to prevent vascular events, heart attacks and strokes. And it looks as though the majority of them are probably taking the wrong dose. Why? So far, pretty much all clinical practice and all clinical trials have adopted a one-dose-fits-all approach. So no matter what size you are, how much you weigh, you get the same dose of aspirin. And what we found is that, in fact, that doesn't seem to be effective. That if you're over 70 kilograms, then low-dose aspirin, which is the the standard now in most countries, is ineffective in preventing vascular events, but still causes bleeding.
0: And yet most people, men and women in the UK, are probably over 70 kilograms.
2: Certainly about half of women, particularly if they're taking uh, aspirin for vascular reasons, are often over 70 kilos and certainly three-quarters of men.
0: They're on a tablet... Hundreds of thousands, millions potentially, of people in the UK are on a drug that's not working for them and may actually be doing them some harm in terms of side effects.
2: Certainly it's not reducing heart attacks and strokes and it is increasing the risk of bleeding at, uh, at the higher body weight.
0: Which begs the question, and why this research wasn't done before? It seems a fairly basic error to give a one-dose-fits-all to people and not to account for their weight.
2: In retrospect, it does. And it's interesting to think how we got to this place in that uh, the early trials used much higher doses of aspirin, 500, 1,000 milligrams a day. And it was then shown in in laboratory studies that the way in which we think aspirin works, which is that it blocks the sticky cells, the platelets in the blood, seemed to occur with much lower doses and uh, people did a lot of laboratory work to show in fact you can block the platelets with the sort of doses we now use but we didn't check to make sure that that effect on the platelets was really mirrored by an effect on heart attacks and strokes people assumed that this surrogate outcome of what the platelets did in the test tube was actually going to tell us reliably about what the platelets did in the body and it it looks as though that probably isn't the case.
0: So we've historically been focusing on the stickiness if you like of of, of the platelets and that's the protective effect against heart attack and stroke. But actually, that's just a marker. What We didn't actually look at outcomes.
2: Well, exactly right. It's what people sometimes call a surrogate outcome. We, we think it uh, probably correlates with the clinical benefits, but you really can't be sure. And we've been caught out in medicine many times by focusing on surrogate outcomes that haven't turned out to be correct
0: so what are the implications for the way that we use aspirin in, in the UK? Uh, what you're suggesting is that most people who are taking it to prevent a heart attack and stroke are probably on too
2: little. I, I think if you're, certainly if you're taking it in what people call the secondary prevention setting after you've had a, a heart attack or a stroke already, and so the risk of a, a further event is quite high, then it's, it's certainly important to get the dose right If you are under 70 kilograms, then you're probably on the right dose. I think if you're over 70 kilograms, it would make sense to either take double dose or take a low dose twice a day. And from doing that, you wouldn't really get any more in the way of side effects, but at least you'd get more reassurance that you were getting the benefit as well.
0: What was the relationship between weight and side effects in your research? Because the side effects can be serious, and I'm talking potentially catastrophic bleeding. It's unusual, but it can happen. It's
2: an important point in the sense that even though people over 70 kilograms didn't get any benefit from taking low-dose aspirin, they still had the increased risk of bleeding. That didn't disappear till at least 90 kilograms. So you could certainly argue that between 70 and 90 kilograms with low-dose aspirin, we might well be doing more harm than good.
0: This sort of effect is likely to skew the data that we've been looking at for decades, is it not? I mean, one of the Problems with aspirin is that there's always been a bit of argument about who should have it and who shouldn't, and if we're giving, say, half the people the wrong dose, it's not surprising it doesn't appear to be that effective.
2: Absolutely right, and it, it explains some strange observations in the past. For example, people have found that looking at the trials, aspirin seemed to prevent stroke in women but not in men, which didn't make much sense. But of course, when you think of it in terms of body weight, that makes very good sense. And different trials have produced different results overall. But then when you look at the makeup of the trials, the average weight across the different trials people have done of aspirin ranges from 60 kilograms to 85 kilograms. So you can imagine that the, the overall trial result will differ quite a lot.
0: Another area that, that's created a lot of excitement with aspirin is its ability potentially to prevent some forms of cancer. Was that looked at in your study? We did, yeah. We were keen
2: to see whether the, uh, the largest effect of aspirin on cancer, which is the effect on colorectal cancer, whether that was also weight-related. And, and we found that, in fact, it was in, in a very similar way to the, the effect on vascular events. So low-dose aspirin was effective in preventing colorectal cancer below 70 kilograms, but not above. Higher doses were effective at somewhat higher weights. So in both cases, it was, again, weight-dependent.
0: Peter Rothwell, and there's a link to his research on the Inside Health page of the Radio Four website. And just for clarity, low dose is generally seventy-five milligrams a day. That's a quarter of a normal aspirin tablet. Now, from preventing strokes to treating them. What's
1: this? The ball. <coughs> it's my ball. Give me that, Dolly Dobby.
0: Charlotte Smith was just twenty-seven and pregnant with her second child when, out of the blue, she had a stroke. Early on the Saturday morning, I woke up with a really bad headache and then it was round about lunchtime when I decided just to take a walk out and meet my partner in town with my four-year-old. I just put the headache down to part of being pregnant with my son. I got halfway into town. Silly as it sounds, I kind of felt drunk. I lost a feeling in my right side of my body and then I collapsed in the middle of the street. I was in and out of consciousness. Next thing I know, I'm waking up and there's two girls stood over me. And My partner at the time asked the girls to call me an ambulance. I was in Telford Hospital for about an hour so they could work out what they could do with me because obviously I wasn't allowed the normal drug that they give everybody else because I was pregnant. So um, I got taken to Stoke and then the procedure was done within an hour. Charlotte underwent mechanical thrombectomy, a novel way of treating the most common form of stroke where a clot blocks one of the arteries supplying the brain. Instead of the more established method, which involves giving drugs, thrombolytics or clot busters to restore normal blood flow, by dissolving the clot, mechanical thrombectomy grabs the blockage and pulls it out. Charlotte was treated in the stroke unit at the University Hospitals of North Midlands NHS Trust in Stoke by consultant neuroradiologist Dr Sanjeev Nayak, who'd been busy doing the same for other patients just before I met him.
1: I was up till 5 in the morning doing this thrombectomy cases. There were two in the night last night. We had a couple of patients who had severe stroke. You know, they had one of the major vessels of the brain occluded by a blood clot. And usually these patients have a very bad outcome. Either they have severe disability or death. And they were referred to a hospital for mechanical thrombectomy. And from what I heard earlier, so far the outcomes have been very good. So you've been up most of the night? Yes, I went home at five in the morning. So Sanjeev, what's actually involved? The story started in 2009. When I started at Stoke, we realised there were there's a large subset of patients with severe stroke. The intravenous thrombolysis, from the evidence we have, worked in a very small percentage of patients. The thrombolysis drugs, the drugs that we use at the moment to dissolve clot. Absolutely. They usually worked in around 20 or 25% of patients. Most of these patients who had this kind of stroke usually either died or had disability. And for us, I mean, this kind of uh, outcome wasn't acceptable. I had done a fellowship in Austria, in Salzburg, when this actually came up in Europe. So I had this experience, and I brought this experience with me, and we decided with our local team that we have to do something different for these patients. Now, for the people who are listening to this, just to give a simple explanation what it means, like if you have a large blocked drain in a street, and you try to put in some drain powder, that doesn't really work, because you need somebody to go in mechanically, a plumber, to take it out. So that's what... Basically, we had to do, basically go into the brain vessel and take the clot out. And that actually made a big difference to the patient's lives.
0: And using the analogy of the block drain, what you're saying is that the thrombolysis drugs are are a bit like pouring drain cleaner on a huge blockage. It simply can't do the job. Absolutely. And what sort of proportion of patients having stroke coming to a unit like yours might be eligible for this? How many of them had
1: these big clots? At the moment, we treat around 110 patients a year which is 10% of our stroke population. So I would say around 10% of the stroke population would be eligible for such treatment.
3: Mark Porter speaking to consultant neuroradiologist Dr Sanjeev Nayak for Inside Health from BBC Radio 4. Thanks to Erica Wright and Liz Tui for their help in bringing that to you. And you can find a link to that episode and information on how to find many more and subscribe at rnz.co.nz forward slash podcast hour now.